Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. One of the biggest problems I've got in my life at the moment is deciding, do I get the El Maco and risk that, or do I get the quarter pounder meal? Another problem I've got is the McFlurry machine at Macca's. They just don't mix McFlurries anymore. What's the deal? Anyway, all that aside, these are trivial problems, right? I know you've got some real life decisions. I know you've got some real life financial problems that you want to get to the bottom of. The problem that we've got in this advanced economy that we're living in, the problem that we've got when most of us have a decent income and you know about 75% of you listening do not have any consumer debt, the problem is some of these financial decisions that we have to make, decision A and decision B, they're both good decisions. So what do you do? I put up in the Facebook group, and thanks everyone for being in the Facebook group, a post about, hey, tell us your financial decisions and John and I will chat about it. There were like, I think there was hundreds of different things. We've talked a lot about them on today's episode. And then what I've done is, there are so many other good talking points that you've put up in there. I've curated a lot of those. So Shell, John and I will discuss them on Friday's episode on My Millennial Daily that you can listen to on Spotify. Uh, There's no cost to listen to that on Spotify. But this is the crazy thing, right? Some of these decisions that we have where they're both good decisions, a third party looking at it can just be like, yeah, that one's a no-brainer. Yeah, do that. Sometimes you just got to get out of your own head and get the decision onto paper, get a third party to have a look over your shoulder. But hey, you guys make some great user-generated content. Let's give this episode a good spanking. My name's Glenn James. You're listening to My Millennial Money. John Pigeon, My Millennial Property. Welcome back to the Tuesday show. Hey, one thing that I've noticed, there's almost a theme that kind of comes up to almost every question in the Facebook group, in your life, in your financial life, is what option do I take Mm. and I want to dedicate this episode to actually discussing how to make a financial decision. Now, we will read a whole heap of questions and use people that listen to the podcast, you know, you out there and you'll put your stuff in as fodder. But before we get into that, do you have any overarching comments on how to make a financial decision in your life? You know, because a lot of the time when you do your property clarity calls, Mm. it's like, oh, do I do this or do I do that? Yeah. And the problem is- in this day and age with a lot of our listeners, that option A and option B, they're good options. Yeah, you're right. And I think whether even not necessarily financial but options in life, we're solely responsible for that. So there's there's heavy shoulders when we're making decisions to I don't want to stuff this up so I need to make sure I, I make the right one. Mm. And, and that's I suppose the beauty of the clarity call is someone's coming in without emotion saying, well, this one makes a lot more sense or this one's more logical. And, and a lot of the time it's like, yeah, I was thinking that but I just needed that reinforcement. So there's no right or wrong answer, is there? It's just understanding the pros and cons of each, each decision we make. And I think when, you know, you drill down to decisions, our personalities can come to play. Like on the personality, I'll, I'll call it a spectrum, but I'm not talking about, you know, personality disorders or anything like that. But like the spectrum of Glenn James, shoot first, then think about aiming. Deliver. Versus the other end, mm. I'll think about this for 15 years and not take any action. Yeah, that's right. And I think probably the... You know, most of us would sit in that bell curve in the middle that we've got decisions and we try and, you know, navigate that. But there's a couple of underlying things that come into decision making. Mm. And for me, one of those things is risk. Yeah. And and single versus couple as well. Yeah. When you're saying, well, you're on the shoot first sort of end, you might have a couple where 
one of you is that and then the other one's totally on the other end. Mm. If you can meet somewhere in the middle, then that's not actually a bad outcome. And even working with my team, I've had to kind of, I'm married to my work and my team. Like I've had to kind of temper the Glenn James. So it has brought me back a little bit. It has slowed me down. And Mm. so I think, yeah, there's going to be a lot in this uh, conversation. So what I'm hearing from you, like reading between the lines before we get into this stuff is there's that perspective of maybe a third-party sounding board to come into someone's life and sit down and discuss the decision, but also the considerations of doing a decision if you do have a spouse or partner. Yeah, absolutely. And and not trying to take someone else's approach and apply it to you. Yeah. And I reckon like for me, the number one thing, and I've told a lot of friends this and family members when they've come to me for quote unquote advice. I don't know why you come to me for advice, but whatever, we're here now. The number one thing I always say before you make any decision about anything, you have to get real data and put that real data on the table. Yes. So we've got decision one, decision two, as much data as possible. Mm. Then we just look at that based on the merits of the data first. So we have to, and it's a lot easier for some than others, but almost be clinical without emotion. Correct. Because what the heart wants, John... (laughs) Which is very hard for a lot of people, isn't well, it? To yeah. remove the emotion in, in any aspect, not just financial. Because the emotion will send you astray, won't it? Mm. It will send you astray. You'll act too fast. You'll do something stupid. You'll get greedy. Yep. You'll do something because you're emotionally invested. Mm. Or the other side of the coin, like, and speaking financially, and, you know, many of us um, will receive inheritances in our lifetime or you may receive a home and particularly as a financial advisor, I'd, I'd had clients that would come in and say, oh, we've inherited man's house. Oh, but we don't want to sell it because of that emotional connection. Now, I'm not saying that's bad to have an emotional connection to that, but the reality is financially probably not a good thing to own man's house with four other people and now it's an investment property and we want to try and preserve it. And so, yeah, I just find this financial decision-making thing really, really, really fascinating. Yep. And my hope is after we talk about some of these live case studies that you will maybe learn and maybe reflect on your own decision-making matrix. Yeah, and and to expand on that maybe, Glenn, I think if we have made – mistakes or errors that we look back on and say, well, yeah, that was a mistake or I shouldn't have done that. What led us to make that mistake? Maybe this is the episode we should have done before last week's episode (laughs) about recovering from financial ruin. Correct. (laughs) We made the wrong decision. Uh, But look, there's a lot of decisions and a heap of you in the Facebook group, we'll get right into it now, a heap of you wrote the age-old question, that old chestnut, John. Mm. And what I might do, I'm going to get my timer because we're going to go through a lot of these. Yeah. Do you want to maybe do three minutes per each one yeah, just in case? That. Yeah. I, I saw one comment there which I'm interested to expand on actually as well. Mm. So it was from you. Right. The age old thing, I'm just setting my thing. I'll do three and a half minutes. Three and a half minutes starting. Now, the age old question, Johnson, pay down the mortgage or invest. What do you do when you are presented with that financial decision? Now, the first thing you need to realize is some of these decisions that we have, you're really in a very, very fortunate, and Rachel has just sent that email now. And for everyone uh, wondering, we were, um, <laughs> we, we were waiting on an email from the wonderful Rach with the harvesting from the Facebook group. So, I said, oh, we'll just get started and do an intro. So, that's why I dragged it out. <laughs> <laughs> the intro's gone for 10 minutes. But the intro. But, um, anyway, good chat. Yeah. So, I want to just acknowledge that like some of these decisions that we have in our society, they're a decision of like you're in a really good position. <laughs> like mm. to say, yeah. I've got extra money left over in my life. Do I invest that for future me or do I pay down the mortgage? For every person who has that question asked, there's probably 10 people that would love to be in that position to, to be able to have that decision to yeah. ask. So, it's perspective, isn't it? Yeah. So, 
what are we? Oh, I just said three hours. <laughs> so I'm like, this, this three minutes is going slow. Kids, uh, kids so, are getting their feeding. Yeah. So, what are your um, opening comments for that question? What was the <laughs> question? Friggin' pay down the mortgage or invest. <laughs> okay. So, it's, it's saving money versus making money, isn't it? Mm. Really what we're saying. So, I don't think. Well, yes, interest rates come into play and, and it has to to some extent. But also there's that, and we start, spoke about it at the start, risk profile versus and, and emotions coming into it. So today's example, let's call it 5%. Our mortgage is 5%. Let's say our, our, uh, our mortgage is 500000 at 5%, right? So interest, it's costing us twenty five grand per annum. We've got to ask ourselves, how much money are we putting into that mortgage as extra payments versus how much we would invest and the expected return on that investment, right? So mm. for me, I'm happy to carry debt provided that, because we can't guarantee returns, provided that I've got my mortgage under control and I've got a goal time frame to pay that down. We can guarantee a return though if I'm putting money on an offset account, we can guarantee a tax-free return. Yeah, but I, I said to invest. Right. So when we're putting money to invest, sure, sure, sure. we can't guarantee that unless no. it's a fixed-term deposit. That's right. Right. So but there wouldn't be anyone who's borrowing to invest in a fixed-term deposit. Never. Well, not never, but generally no. So can I save 5% or can I make 7%? To me, I think it's more about the goal. What do you want to achieve mm. and how diversified is your portfolio in life? Yeah, for me, this decision, I'll probably say, and this is the overarching thing with a lot of stuff, right? There's a lot of overarching stuff with these things, but like many of these decisions, and I know we're talking these big wishy-washy statements, but they're kind of all true, like with the personality spectrum, the risk thing, the this overarching thing. And it comes down to when Morgan Hassel or Hansel said in his book, Psychology of Money, there's a financial decision and there's a money decision. Mm -hmm. Financial decision is no emotion. The money decision is I need to do this because I can sleep at night. So for me personally, when I've asked myself this question, I will always have my home mortgage on principal and interest payments because it's cheaper interest and at least it's being paid down and it's probably the same price if not cheaper than rent. So then any extra money that I'll have, I'm going to invest for the future. But if you wake up tomorrow and you do have this, ask yourself, would you feel better if you fast forward five years or 10 years with your house paid off with no debt or still a mortgage and a nice little investment account? Because the thing is, we know over a 10-year period, equity markets will return a higher spread than a mortgage, and there's our timer, than a interest rate. Yep. So I actually think for those who have asked this question, pay off the home or invest, I'm actually doing both. Well, that's a boring answer. It is. Yeah. <laughs> well, but, you, well like you actually, would be doing both anyway, right? Because you're paying P&I on your mortgage. Exactly. And, yes. you, and you're in, well, you don't have to invest, but mm. essentially if you're choosing some form of investing, you're doing both. Mm. But it, I will say one you talked about investing and whatnot and, you know, the term deposit and I said, well, you wouldn't do that. You wouldn't borrow to invest. You've got to remember every $1,000 that you have in your life that you don't pay off your debt on your mortgage, you're either investing or spending. Like you're borrowing money. Yeah. As philosophically, as long as you've got a mortgage, like this coffee, I bought our two coffees today. I don't know, say well, $10 for the two. I don't know how much a coffee's. Yeah, about that. Five. $11 for the two, right? Yeah. Flarenco, what up? <laughs> the that eleven dollars I borrowed against my home, philosophically, because it was an eleven dollars that I didn't pay back that debt with. Yep, yep, yep. Discretional. Uh, so it, it's it's really that's a really hard one, and those decisions of paying down the mortgage extra versus investing, it's purely a comfort clause and an understanding thing. But are we both in agreement that? If someone's paying interest only on their mortgage, that's a no-brainer that you need to pay down and start paying principal versus going to invest. 
Well, that's interesting because what if, and I'm saying this not because interest only is a higher interest rate than P&I. But not as much now. Like no, that's right. Three. So I guess I'm saying this is if your risk profile permits you to do interest only for the first little while and go hard elsewhere, because I actually wow. I actually think when I first got my home mortgage for the first couple of years, I said interest only because I want as much money mm. to pump into my business and then I built the business up and sold yeah. it and it printed money and all that mm. stuff. But that was a risk thing that I was willing to take on that risk yeah. because I knew as well that, well, it's about the same price as rent anyway. So my risk profile would allow me to do that. So, yeah. so by invest, we mean investing in equities or equities, investing anything. Investment property, yeah. um, your business. Because a lot of times in these personal finance worlds, John, when people talk about investing, they really talk about property or shares. Yeah, because this, instead of three minutes, this could be 30. Because yeah, when, when you look at, when you look at, you mentioned business, like, if I'm going to buy, if I'm going to invest in property, mm. investment properties, I'm using my equity from my own home, not my cash. Yes, sure. I'll, I'll give you that. Absolutely. To invest in shares, I'm going to use my cash. This is just me. Unless you listen to the episode that just went up last week, right? Debt recycling with Paul Benson. Fascinating. And I'd encourage you to listen to that, John. Oh, He's a yeah. good fellow, Paul. Yeah, it was just, yeah, really. And helpful. then the third part of your business example, well, I'm actually prepared to do go interest only and and use my cash for that because I'm in control of the success of mm. that. Whereas I go and invest elsewhere and that that's in some ways out of my hands. Yeah, and for me, like with this interest only when I first got my home, I knew that if I set up the business and go hard and fund that employee staff, it was a tracker. It was like, yeah, I, I know I can do 30% profit a year in the business. Easy. But it just it's a risk profile thing. Yeah, risk profile and run the numbers. What can I do with that? And that goes investment? back to putting the data on the table, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. hey, um, that was a bit of an aggregate response from everyone. I'm going to set the timer again. Do you want to read that first question from Rach Bernadette, longtime uh, listener and friend of the Facebook group? Thanks for hanging around, Rach. That's page two, by the way. Oh, it is. Sorry, top of page two. Yeah. Good question anyway. Rach Bernadette, spend 30K total on my dream wedding at a local live music venue with local bands for the reception or get it done on a shoestring budget. So hard to justify spending that much on one day. Also the classic shares versus investment, just about to receive a large inheritance, not sure which way to go. Let's talk about the first one. Mm. Well, I always say to these questions and I'll put my cards on the table or flag on the hill or whatever, I'm not married. I haven't had to spend money on a wedding, so I'm just kind of speculating here. Mm. But I've always asked my friends, myself, my mirror, my Bumble profile, all that stuff. No, joking. Lol. Um, would you rather a marriage or a party? <laughs> yes. Well, like yeah. because people like Dirty Mike and Joe Lee, who've been on the show before, friends of mine, mm. they did a micro wedding. Yeah. They probably would have been – under 20 grand. Yeah. It was like just their immediate family only, but they valued the the marriage part of that rather than the big party. Yeah, yeah. It, it definitely comes back to values, doesn't it? And and not just keeping up with the Joneses per se because I've been to this lavish wedding and I thought that was awesome and I, I got drunk and whatever else. Uh, it, it sounds cliche, but a lot of it might depend on the price you put on money. Say, well, okay, a 30 grand wedding in – your world might be a drop in the ocean versus 30 grand that someone saved for five years. Yeah, that's a point because like, you know, Rachel could be worth $15 million. Correct. And we're like, 30 grand on a wedding, um, what are you doing? Like yeah. it won't move your needle. No. Yeah. But um, if I can go back to what you said at the start, John, around the the partnership thing, like Rachel's likely not marrying herself or her <laughs> pet cat or dog, right? No. There's someone else. I would encourage you, practical, both of you, get a bit of paper. I want you to both draw four columns, the first two columns, wedding party, pros, cons, mm. next column, marriage, <laughs> small, intimate or whatever, pros and cons. Both of you write pros and cons, yeah. separate rooms, all that stuff. Yeah. 
And then both of you come back together and let's put all the data on the table and make an on-balance call. Yeah, and hopefully you don't... And to be honest, $30,000 for a dream wedding, that's, for some people, that's a shoestring budget, yeah. like you said, for a wedding. Totally. So yeah. I don't think you're being excessive with $30,000 for the wedding. Give Like, because Robbo, who edits the podcast, yes. I think him and Sarah, they said they spent around thirty grand. Wow, you pay him too much. So one thing, I like that list, by the way, draw it line down the page and pros and cons and whatever else. But also I think in addition to that, you could say, well, what things do we appreciate in that wedding? So a, a cake could be 10 grand mm. if we go to the wrong cake maker. So what do we enjoy? <laughs> so like I had a 40th, right, it, and uh, it went for a couple of days, but I wanted to pay for all my guests to come and have a good time and drink and eat whatever they want. Your 40th? Mm. When was that? Hang on, did I miss your party or something? <laughs> You don't do parties, mate. No, did you have a 40? When was your birthday? Five years ago. Oh. <laughs> I'm 45, mate. Oh, are you? That's right. I forgot we're all old now. I'm like, 40th the other day? Yeah. Why wasn't I invited? <laughs> it wasn't the other day. Yeah, I'm getting old. Mm. Um, well, the time has gone off, so wrap it up. Yeah. So do what you want to do for mm. you for your 24 hours that you're going to yeah. celebrate like and that question that Rach has there is more of the values question um, yeah. i would imagine because if you look at it and you could actually look at the question through the lens yeah over the next 40 years of our life 30 grand is not a lot of money mm. over you know the next you know handful of years yeah it's a lot now but if we value this and we want it to be the memories and all that stuff. Yeah. Are, a, are, are you nice saving wedding. for a house? Is 30 grand meaning I'm going to not buy a house for another five years? That mm. might be the difference. All right. Do you want to read another one there? Go to the top of page one, I think. Okay. Emma Vitz, not one I'm making, but I think a lot of people are struggling to decide when to buy a house given the falling house prices and rising interest rates. A okay. lot of ticks for this one. Yeah. So I've um, just started the clock. Because we're doing how to make a decision, mm. the question Emma's asking is, do I buy now or later? And we'll put some parameters on it. Now is in next six months yep. or wait three years? Yeah, now. Okay. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> but So how did you come to that decision okay, so making? I think Emily and I spoke about this on uh, My Millennial Property. Go and check it out if you haven't already. Um, <laughs> I think at the moment, yes, rising interest rates are evident. Um, falling house prices, maybe, not in all areas. So understanding which market you're buying in first of all. But a lot of people like Emma are sitting on the fence saying, what am I going to do here? Demand is low, supply is low, vacancy rates are non-existent. There's a lot of sellers out there that actually have to sell property. So we can navigate a discount in particular markets making sure we buy the right asset class within that market. But I think come March, April next year, when interest rates start to stabilise without having a crystal ball, buyers will re-enter the market and there'll be a lot more competition. Mm. Your thoughts? Look, I think it comes down to the best time to buy a house to live in that you're going to be living in for at least five to seven years is when you've got the money mm. and the right house comes up. Yeah. That's because you're paying rent regardless anyway. Uh, so if you can get in and get settled and, yeah, factor in a bit of a, you know, you might be paying 5.5% for a mortgage yeah. soon, which which yeah. ordinarily when I got my first mortgage, it was 5% and I thought that was really cheap. Yeah, it's normalised rates. At the so, moment. yeah, I think, Emma, if you find the right place, I would do that. But again, I'm going back to my decision-making process. Let's move some emotion. Let's do a list. And this is so primitive and basic, but trust me, guys, it will really help you keep renting and saving, yeah. pros and cons, buy now and live in a house that we mm. want, pros and cons. Let's write down as many pros and cons for either side. And, and the reason this is so top of mind, because the book sort your career out and make more money, I did two chapters on mindset. Yeah. And one of the points that I made was um, thinking like an economist and when I had Robert Frank on the podcast from Cornell, small university, you wouldn't get it, John, uh, <laughs> only because you don't watch The Office and it's American. But like he basically said it's always a cost-benefit thing. So in this mindset thing, I, I always talked about running a cost-benefit scenario 
through all your decisions. And there's some examples in the book and templates and rating each pillar, whether like it's a financial pillar, a relationship pillar, a mindset pillar, sorry, a mental health pillar, a family pillar, a career pillar, rating them out of five, getting it all out on paper and looking at the cost benefit of the decision on balance. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. And for Emma, I think she's raising that question because she's in a position to buy. Yes. I'm presuming. So whether it's investment or owner rock, then yeah, I wouldn't be holding back. But uh, your call, Emma. Good yeah. The, 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 the caveat to all these things is do what you want. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but we're just using it as fodder yeah. and we'll try and make some practical suggestions to help you make a decision. Toby Garner, he said saving to buy a house or – just continuing to use savings to invest in index funds. He's 27 years old. My question, Toby, is do you want to buy a house to live in? Or are you happy renting or living at home or whatever you're doing now? If it's saving to buy a house as an investment, well, you're already investing now. So I'm going to assume it's saving to buy a house to live in. But what you need to do to make this decision, Toby, is when you get into that house, what will your lifestyle look like? Do you have a partner? with another income? Will you have to get boarders or flatmates to come in and help pay? While the mortgage could service, it might put your mortgage repayments, you know, close to 40% of your net take-home, which is not ideal. That's considered mortgage stress. So, again, we've got to get data, get it on the table. What does it look like if you were to own a house? Do you want to own a house Mm. or just keep pumping your investment portfolio? And this is this whole thing, Toby, like systematically in your financial life, if you spend less than what you earn, invest the rest, you'll be all sweet and keep out of consumer debt. Yeah. And But within that, we might have to uh, not invest and save and buy a, a home with a deposit. But I, I would say to you, Toby, um, if I said yes or no, would you like to own a house to live in right now? If you're like, yeah, I really would. I'd be like, okay, well, let's do that. And then probably more along the practical sides of things, If you were on the fence and didn't know, Toby, you could still keep investing for the next year or so, all your money, right? And then once you decide, like, I think I'm ready to buy a house to live in because it's not a financial investment decision. It's more of a lifestyle thing. I want my own house and I want to pay down a mortgage and paint the walls and do all that stuff. If the time does where you're like, I really feel in my heart that I want to own my place where I live and you have a big share portfolio it might be a slight, we don't say time the market, but if there's a total bloodbath, mm. we might say, I'm going to put this goal on pause for the next six or 12 months, see if the portfolio recovers, not put any additional money into my investments and just for the next six to 12 months be cash heavy. Yeah. Or what you can do, Toby, is if you're putting $1,000 a month, I'm just making up a number into your investment account and you're pretty sure that you want to buy a home, you could stop investing now and just save cash for the next 12 months or you could save half cash and half invest if you're not sure. But this question, Toby, is really what do you want to do and are you doing one thing because someone has said you need to buy a house to live in? Mm. But if Toby wants to rent vest and rent and invest in shares, knock yourself out. It's your life. Yeah. Be who you want to be. Sounds like you've confused the hell out of poor old Toby here but um, (laughs) let's look at... I, I suppose index funds. If he wants to invest in index funds, would we say low risk or high risk? Uh, if it's like the BHAD HHF, yeah, that's a growth fund with no defensive assets, mm. so it's high risk. High risk. So I don't get any time on this. Right, one. Go. You can wrap it up. <laughs> so we've got it's it's saving to buy a house or investing in index funds. So if we want some certainty around how much money we have got to buy a house. If mm. we're going to buy in 12 months or two years, we're probably saving and not investing. Well, that goes back to do you really want a house? And if the answer is heck yes, well, we're probably keeping the money out of the market. Yeah, that's right. And then what yeah. we're probably doing is looking at the first home super saver scheme to flush money through that Yeah, because to get the tax savings. There's no doubt and, and look this up in the in the dictionary, the, the meaning of leverage, mm. the exertion of force by means of a lever. So if you can- Give me a lever long enough and somewhere to put it and I'll move the earth. So the lever in this case for Toby- Was that Aristotle or Plato, Pluto? I don't know. The lever in this case for Toby is the bank's money. Mm. 
So the quicker he can get into that, if he's comfortable with it, the better in my mind. Mm. Next question. We'll take a quick break and then we'll come back and try and smash these out and we might set the timer to two minutes because I want to get through more. Uh, We'll be back after this. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to Bluehost.com slash Wondersuite. All right. Next question, Rooney. Cassandra Stevenson, you're a regular in the group. You've got a little coffee mug next to your Facebook thing, which means you're a regular contributor. Salary sacrifice into super or invest. You're doing both. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. Yeah. I think what you're saying, Cassandra, is salary sacrifice into super or invest in my own name. My question with your decision-making matrix is, and we've got to make some numbers up. So, we'll just call it $1,000 a month. If you didn't need that $1,000 a month because you had savings for your holiday sorted, the next car sorted, and you had everything, you're in your home and everything's well-established in your life, kids are um, in school if you've got kids or if you want kids in the next five minutes or whatever, like we'll assume that life's good. If that $1,000 a month was legitimately not missed and you've got a good income trajectory, I can't ever say that word. Trajectory? Yeah, whatever. Sure, put it in super. We know salary sacrifice to super is financially better because it's cheaper. You pay half the tax on on the money going into the investment and then it's taxed internally at 15%. After age 60, you can convert that to a pension account and it's growth and the income is tax-free. So, we know financially it's better. What I would probably do, Cassandra, is write down some reasons why you wouldn't do the salary sacrifice and lock money up into super. If in doubt, maybe you do... 500 to super, 500 outside of super and just hedge because you can do a bit of both. Mm. Yeah, the, the only thing I'd add to that would be how long until you want to access this money. So obviously investing outside of super, we can access it when we want. Putting it into super, if we're 30 years of age, it's 30 years from touching it. Now, you might think that's a good thing or you might think that's not a good thing. So that probably is, a, is an important point that I would consider. Yeah, so and that's the learning thing there like salary sacrifice to super or invest. We're all investing, we're talking about tax structures and accessibility. So the government yep. will reward you for putting the money away for future you. And I've said a lot of times if in doubt like if you're paying a couple of grand a year for insurance 
in your super fund uh, because it's tax deductible to the fund, as a minimum, you might just salary sacrifice the insurance premium. So at least your super fund isn't going backwards or as a minimum, you might just do 5%. Have maybe, and that's a good one, John, like maybe have a rule in your life. I will just salary sacrifice 5% of my income to super. Life's pretty good for me financially. I'm not heaps going to miss it, but it's a decent amount of money. And that's just the rule. I'm just investing a little bit more. It really takes your super contributions to like 15.5% at the moment. You'll have no problem at age 60. Go for it. Um, what do we got? There's a one here from Belinda Mitchell. Should I pay? This is more a ask Glenn or John, should I do this or do that? But it's a fun topic anyway. Should I pay for one year of uni fees, 8.5K upfront before the 10% discount is removed on the 1st of January or let it go to HEX? Renting with six months emergency fund saved. Look, if you got the cash, I would pay it and get on with your life. What would you do, John? No, I wouldn't. Okay. <laughs> but, uh, I'd take it and invest elsewhere, get a return on that bad boy. Yeah, but when it goes to HEX, you're doing it without the discount. Then it's getting indexed each year mm. and then your salary is getting garnished because of that. If I'm using what I'm doing that degree for and earning some good dollars with that. Mm. I'm, I'm happy with that. I'll wear that cost. Yeah. And that, you know, this is awesome, John, because it this is the personality thing and the risk profile thing, isn't it? It is. Yeah, like and, and 10%, great. Uh, that's $850. For, for a lot of people, that's a lot of money. Mm. And it is. But what we can do with that eight and a half, like, and, and I sound older than 45 right now, but- I put six grand into a $60,000 house mm. 25 years ago. Yeah. Right. So that's something that can be done. Yeah, but you're not putting eight grand, nine grand into a house today. No, but it can add to the, mm. the other money I've got. Yeah. And I, I just think what you'll do as well, I just think, Belinda, in this one, it's purely you probably can't wreck it, whatever decision you make. The fact is she's got eight and a half. Yeah, that's awesome. And that's what I mean. Like she's renting, she's got an emergency fund mm. of six months saved. For me, I just pay for it, get on with my life. I hate things hanging off my salary like hex yeah. and help payments. Like, yeah. So yeah. No, cool. that, that's just a – you can't wreck it, flip a coin, but also just pay for it and move on. <laughs> but don't do what I say. <laughs> Any ones that you can see there that are – I can't read oh, that because it's too Ald. small. Oh, I forgot to set the timer for that one. Jeff Ald said, having children or travel, and I think there's a photo of him, can't heap see it, but there's someone else in the image, whether he's oh, right. pashing a chick or a close, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All well, right, this is, uh, this is an interesting one and Shell would be primed to answer this, but she's not here. Brianna Day. No, I'm reading. The, we're discussing the having children or travel. Oh, sorry. I thought you moved on. <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. Having children or travel. Whew, one costs you money. The other I mean, you, makes you cry. <laughs> start practicing the child making while traveling. <laughs> yes. That could, that and then work. you got like eight months to bring it home. Hmm. But that's all, again, all I would say on that one, I've traveled, I haven't had spawn. <laughs> Write a list with your spouse or partner. The pros and cons of doing it before and after, trust me, it will come apparent which should come yeah. first. On a practical sense, it can be harder to have kids the older we get. Mm. Uh, that's just a fact. It can be more expensive to travel with kids yep. and not as... Can be. It bloody is. Well, and, and that's the thing. Like, for example, having children or traveling, if we look at a five-year window and we don't know the ages, but if you go, okay, we'll do the kid thing first because I don't think it's either or. You can travel with kids and all that stuff. You know, once the kids come, it's a lot harder to travel and more expensive. And I've... I would hypothesize that it's probably harder to travel with toddlers and mm. more of a pain in the butt, not impossible as um, what's that Simpsons character Ralph would say? <laughs> Me fail English? That's impossible. It's not impossible, but it could be harder. Yeah. I think 
get out there, travel, enjoy life, then come home to nest. But also just write it all down, decision-making tricks. I can't really add to that, but it's a good thing to talk about anyway. Yeah, it's a good one. I think the age that you mentioned is an important one. So how many years maybe is our window for having kids? Uh, For me personally, I would go and travel first. Absolutely. And you've um, you've had kids. I've done both. You've still got the kids. I think so. Yeah. Um, yeah. I do need to pick one of them up pretty soon. Yep. Yeah. So it's um, that's a great question. Actually, mm. it's not something we've ever covered before. I don't reckon having kids or travel. Yeah. Mm. In this year, anyway. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway. All right. Do you want to read the Brianna Day question? Deciding whether to leave my current job for one with a better salary or stick it out with a bit longer. Struggling to do so because of burnout and needing a break to recover before jumping into a new role but don't feel safe to take a break at the moment due to inflation, recession, increased unemployment, etc. I don't think the increased unemployment – let me rewind. I think, Brianna, that's with the lowest Ever. full employment – 50 years. Whatever, the lowest unemployment rate ever. So I don't think that's a showstopper. At the end of the day, you've got burnout and you need a break to recover. Actually, I I don't want this to be a plug for the career book, but this is top of mind because we've just sent it to print. We actually did a story um, in the career book of someone that had a career break and it's a lot harder if you're in your 20s and you don't have the cash behind you to – and Shell and Emma have talked about it on the career podcast. Like it's a lot harder to go, oh, I'm just going to have three months off work and then live off my savings and eat, pray, love for three months. Like that's harder when you don't have the money, right? But what I would say with your decision matrix – because I, I do want to take it back to like how do we help Brianna decide this. Mm. Fast forward two years, you're in your next job – and you love it and all that stuff and it's a better salary, would you regret having a career break? Would you regret like leaving or not leaving that job? From everything I'm reading here, it's probably more of a how to decide. From a third party looking into this, John, deciding whether to leave my current job for one with a better salary or stick it out and she's struggling because of burnout, I think you need a break and I think you need a new job because you burned out for some reason. And what I'd probably encourage you to do, Brianna, let's try and get both sides of this coin flipped at the same time. Let's have you looking for a new job, but tell them you can't start for four weeks or for five weeks or something like that. So at least you can get something lined up for five or six weeks and it might not always be this easy and all that. But then have a bit of a a jobcation. <laughs> I don't know what they call yeah, it, yeah. but like resign, fully be fully being able to de-stress and unburn or whatever, without the stress of knowing that I don't have anywhere to go to. Yeah. But conversely, if you were in an industry like any of the STEM fields, any like really pumping industries, and you were good at your job, it's probably going to be easier for you to get a good job without having one Mm. and I just want to say from a human level, don't feel bad ever for taking time off to look after you because you are the best financial asset that you've got. And I saw something on Reddit the other day. Oh, yeah, I love Reddit. It's wild. Um, Someone was like, oh, it was almost a very similar situation. This person was like, I'm worried about what a career break would look like on my resume. Yeah. I can tell you as an employer of good people, we only employ good people at SIMO, quality people. When I'm looking for quality people, I don't care if someone said to me like, oh, this three-month gap on my resume is because I literally had a career break and wanted to press reset. I was in a good enough position to do so. I'll be like, you're onto it. You've been good enough to look after your money or wrangle something and live off your savings or, I don't know, move to Bali for three months and live off an oily rag or, yeah. So, I I just think this question, it's more of an encouragement of that. We are the third party to say that you are good enough to still get a job regardless of the economy, regardless of inflation, regardless of any of that. 
Do you have any yeah. thoughts on this? Yeah, look, I, I think, Brianna, if, if that was me, reverse engineer the process. If we're up for getting a new job now, secure one, give yourself a break in between. If you can, have the emergency buffers or savings up your sleeve to be able to take a month off if that's what you need and, and roll into that second job. Now, that, that sounds straightforward and easy um, and obviously there's some variances around that but you need to be able to get out of this role because you don't enjoy it and you're burnt out so you need something new. Mitch McGill, how does Mitch work out whether or not to renovate the house or buy an investment property? I mean, this is an interesting one because you're you're not asking whether we renovate our existing house or just buy it and buy another house to live in or knock it over. Like I would say you can actually do both in this instance, perhaps. Yeah. Uh, it's just a matter of order and timing. So maybe, John, just speak to that because I think we might be on the same page here. Yeah, look, and and out of all the clarity calls I do, this is a really common question. And a lot of cases you can do both, but it is the order that you put them in. Can I ask, do like, because you're in the property world every day and mm. I'm in the money world part-time, right? Like, yes. is it because people might think I've got $50,000 of equity or I've got this of that and I think I can only spend it on investing or renovating where I live? Is it is it that black and white that people think only one is possible right now? Well, I think it's I think it's two things. There's been a lot of equity created in the last couple of years mm. and that whilst that might be diminishing for some people in certain areas, I think the they've now got choices to go and do stuff. So they've got these options that they didn't have maybe three years ago. And then the second part of that is because we've got choices, um, oh, actually all of a sudden the kitchen's looking a bit daggy. So do we, do we improve that now knowing that that's, is bad debt versus the good debt for investments, uh, which is what I should be doing because I listen to this podcast sort of thing. So I think it's really understanding. In an ideal world, Mitch, if you had the cash to pay for your renovation and the equity to go and, and uh, buy an investment, then all sorted. But you've got to, again, reverse engineer and, and say to your broker, right, or broker tells you how much can we lend to go and buy an investment property, how much can we lend to to renovate our PPR and what sort of mortgage level are we comfortable with on our own home? Mm. Question, and it might be a, you know, a long bow to draw. If someone did have their main principal place of residence, and I'll just make a number, there was, I'll call it 200 grand of equity, right? Yeah. Usable equity. Yes. So we've only got 200 grand that we can use and we want to do a, a decent reno and it is a long-term home and if we, you know, we know if we do the renovation, we'll pick up an extra 200 grand on top of the reno costs and all that stuff. Yep. Would you ever, when the mortgage broker does the assessments and they're like, yeah, we can pull that equity out, in a very unique situation, would you ever use a portion of the deposit, so we'll just call it 50 grand of equity for an investment property and still pay a little bit of LMI over there because paying maybe 12 grand LMI to get a good investment property in the right markets, blah, 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 is good bang for our buck on balance because we do want to use 150 grand of equity to renovate the home and live in longer term? Uh, In short, yes. However, uh, understanding, well, is that one fifty enough for renovation? Yes. Yeah. Like, and and what level of renovation do we want? And and what's the finished product going to look like? So compare. Okay, if we do this renovation, what else in the street is sold for that? Yeah, and I I, I probably am very 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 out of touch with how much it costs to renovate a house at the mm-hmm. moment, but I'm probably talking a couple of bathrooms and a kitchen for that or back deck. Yeah, if that. So yeah, absolutely. But yeah, it, so, it's to the so level you, you would in some circumstances, and this is why this whole thing's a game of chess, and you do need a a chess master, be it a good accountant or a good property coach and a great mortgage broker with the structure to actually present you with the options. Like you can actually do it all but you have to borrow an extra 15 grand over this side of the fence yeah. for LMI for that property. Yeah, the worst thing you want to do, Mitch, is 
don't look at both options first and, and just go and do one of them without thinking about the other. Because if you, and this is the cool thing with the getting the data on the table, talking to the mortgage broker, talking to the accountant, talking with John and his people, like if you do make one decision, that could stop the other one happening for five years. Yeah. But if you make the right decision, you might be able to do the second one within the next six months. Correct. Yeah, yeah. And and just uh, we don't know his details, his finances. So understanding how much cash you've got in your life, and and understanding the mortgage repayments that will increase as a result of loaning to to renovate. But or do you do both on the one property and put a granny flat out the back? <laughs> Options are plenty. Yeah. Okay. We're going to finish up. There's a couple of juicy ones here. Stephanie Trost. A daily living one for me is still living for now or saving for the future. I have my foundations, but there's not much wiggle room. So I've been indulging myself lately with some weekends away and local festivals. So this is a real week on week situation. And I don't know if it's a decision making thing, but we're talking about it. And it's a good thing because, you know, I can spend like you, Steph, you know, love spending money, love living life. What I'd probably say on this one you need to have a spending plan. Like you actually need to have some type of system that can allow you to spend and save for the future at once. And, you know, when people like are fitness people and do the diet thing and are really good with all that stuff, you've heard people say cheat days. It's like, oh, it's my cheat day. I'm having my ice cream today. And I've certainly like, if you listen to the podcast long enough and read my books and all that, Got a bit wild for a little bit there through COVID. I got addicted to Coke, no sugar, eating way too much Ben and Jerry's. I can't tell you the last time I had Ben and Jerry's ice cream. I haven't had Coke, no sugar for months and months and months. But because for me, ice cream is my Achilles heel, I've actually made a conscious decision that I only do that once a week at a maximum. Mm. So with your spending and saving for the future, What I want you to do, Stephanie, is maybe automate your savings for the future. And that could be every time you get paid, X amount goes into an investment account. X amount is salary sacrificed automatically to super. And if you're keeping out a consumer debt, we'll spend the rest of your money, go and enjoy life, whatever your system could be. I get my investing automatically done every time I get paid. And as long as I'm keeping out a consumer debt and I'm living my life and having fun and just spending what I got left. Like you could set up a system that's as primitive as that, but I think it is that more, or can you do it, Steph, where you have one cheat event a month or one loose day a week or, yeah, I don't think it has to be all or nothing with our spending. No, no, I agree. I think it's about contentment. Mm. What makes you happy and content? So I think if, if you're putting it all away and, and not having your weekends away and your festivals and whatever else and you're feeling okay about that, then great, let's keep that. But if, you, if you're too worried about that and, and you don't feel as though you're enjoying life now, then you need to portion some off like you mentioned, Glenn. So mm. I think it's like, again, going back to the dictionary, Glenn, contentment is a state of peaceful happiness. Mm. So if you're, doing, if you're feeling happy about portioning some for the future as well as enjoying now, then great. Mm. But don't think that, that – don't be too hard on yourself. Mm. Like some go too hard one way and you you need to find a happy medium for you. Yeah, and that's what I mean. Like, And I almost say it every episode but this whole consumer debt thing, as long as you're keeping out of consumer debt, investing a portion of your money for the future above your superannuation, you can't wreck it. No. Like you really can't because you're not in the habit of consumerism. Mm. You're, at the, you're at the habit of if I don't have the cash, I don't buy it. Unless you get divorced. Yeah, that's, that's another thing. All right, last question. All right, what is it? Uh, May and Rowling, paying for private school fees for two kids last three to four years of school or <laughs> asking them to do a VCE at a government school and saving 100 grand. <laughs> And that's after tax money, let me tell you. Correct. And possibly ruining their friendship groups and their lives. Uh, And then she said, teenage girls, another. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Wow. I mean, look, I think that's – okay, I – 
you can make the comment as a father soon, but I'll just make the comment as a financial situation. If there, if you do have a, a partner, um, the kids, other parent, and you've got the money, and everything's happy, and the girls are settled, and you can afford it, like I don't like paying my car insurance, for example. It's annoying, yes. but I can afford it, yeah. and it's an expense, so I pay it and get all my life. I don't want to be driving around with a car that's not insured. I know with the school thing, like it's expensive, but it's not forever. And no. at some point you've made the decision to start that 100 grand a year or 100 grand over the next three to four years. Like at some point you made the decision that you'll do private school. And the question is, did you do it knowing that you actually couldn't afford it or uh, has the situation changed and you've got less money now and it really is a pinch? Mm. I mean- my whole um, my money hierarchy that I talk about in the book about, you know, basic comforts, baseline expenses, and then luxuries and premium luxuries, all that came about because I had a client one day, they came in, they were struggling with their money. Their electricity bill was in arrears, like owing money on your electricity bill, but their two kids were in private school. And as much as I want every kid to be in private school, if the parents want to do that, the facts actually were they could not afford that. Yeah. So I would probably say if the teenage girls are happy and you can afford it, you probably just don't fix it. It's not broken. It's annoying. Mm. As they drop off over the next few years, you'll start to recoup that money. Uh, But go back to ask yourself, why did you start the private school to start with? If it was you wanted them to value it, if you wanted, you liked that vibe and all that stuff, if that hasn't changed, something else has rocked you and scared you. Yeah, and it may be the fact that we're more financially literate and we realise that we should be doing more investing and we're seeing Or we overextended money. ourselves. Yeah. yeah. Um, but look, as a, as a parent, I'm looking at it saying happiness, like what's going to make my kids happy? Not spoiled but just happy, right? And, and I would actually sit down with the girls – Granted, now that they're they're probably old enough to have a good solid conversation with mum, and and just say, look, this is this is what we're looking at. We're, we've got three or four years left of your schooling. We know you love your school. We know you love your friendship group. Where it's not a money thing, but uh, would you entertain if if we had the choice? Would you go to a government school versus uh, the school you're currently in? And, and put it out on the table and say, well, yeah, there's money here that's costing to go to school and we're more than happy to continue doing that. Um, the other side of the coin would be, okay, government school, maybe the friendship groups aren't there. However, there's 100K that we're going to put aside that you'll have at the end of it. Yeah, I was just thinking that as you were talking. I'm like, you know, because young adults are pretty reasonable and rational Yeah, sometimes. Yeah, be like, hey, we're spending 100 grand over the next three years mm. What about if you guys want, if you want to go to the school down the road, Mm. think about it. We don't want to answer now. We're totally chill. But if you do that, why don't we flick you both 25 grand for a house deposit or an investment account? And then when you're 25, then we'll release the money for a house deposit. Yeah. And one might say yes, the other might say no. They both say bugger off or or whatever. But at least you put it on the table and and, and, and tabled it. But I just want to kind of say like from a money point of view, uh, I'll never – tell people that they shouldn't or should put their kids through private school because it's none of my business. No. But I would say you've got to make sure you can afford it because if you can't afford it, you don't want to be in a position – and we don't know the situation here, but yeah. we don't want to be in a situation where you've got to unwrap it and then cause stress in financial in young people's lives because yeah. I like reflecting on me in my childhood and teens – I categorically, now knowing what it's like, had childhood anxiety or Mm. adolescent, whatever the name is, I categorically, I can just remember key parts. And I mean, I would imagine like most parents want as stable environment for their kids to flourish as possible. Yeah, totally. And and not speaking out of school, (laughs) pardon the pun. Yeah, we won't. (laughs) As an educator, I... There's the standards of education vary from school to school. There's no doubt about that. But what overrides that is the friendship Mm. and the enjoyment that the kids get by going to school with their friends. So 
if that can't be replaced at another school, regardless of whether you pay for that or not. Unless this whole thing was a weird flex. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we've got 100K after tax free over the next three years. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. We want to use it for a holder. All right. right, Good chat. Uh, We'll be soon back (laughs) for another episode. (laughs) But I just want to ask John one quick question in the after party. See you guys next week. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports a variety of charities, and we encourage you to consider giving as part of your overall financial strategy. If you would like some giving options, or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to mymillennial.money forward slash charities for more info. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. Question. When was the last time you ever had a shower sitting down? Funny you say that. Oh, gosh. <laughs> because I I pulled my boy up on doing it the other night because he's just wasting water sitting down in the shower. Right. My youngest, right. right. I said, Charlie, what are you doing, mate? Mm. I said, you're wasting water. It's not like mm. it's just not good for the environment. Mm. So, Dad, I'm thinking. Oh. I'm thinking about the day and I'm thinking about how I can improve on some decisions that I make. Is he a thinker? Like by Very much a thinker. Right. right. Where's he get that from? His mum. Must. <laughs> Not his dad. <laughs> I'm like, mate, you're nine and you're, you're sitting down <laughs> you're in the shower thinking like. Change, yeah. Solving the world's I was problems. Like, well, okay, that, I appreciate that. But can't you go to bed and do it? Like mm. lie in bed. It, it doesn't cost you money to lie there and, <laughs> and close your eyes. Like this, the warm water in my back makes me think better. Wow. Well, I've got no answer for that. What do you ask? Well, my millennial money started from a shower thought. Oh. I do a lot of thinking in the shower. Yeah, well, your best idea. Trashing the planet, but hey. (laughs) Is that all you do? It's the best idea time, I think, because you get to relax. The reason I ask is today, what's the date? 24th of November, we're recording this. So it'll be out in a couple of weeks Mm. uh, when you hear this. Like today, I had my cast removed. Yes. And so the last two weeks of having a cast on my ankle, I've had a chair in the shower. <laughs> oh, yes. Like so an old I, bitty. Yeah, so I've had a, like a, my chair in the shower and then a chair outside the shower. So when I next to the sink, so I can put my knee on it and stand and brush my teeth and then yep. sit down and wiggle over to the shower and yeah, then yeah. get out of the shower and sit down and dry and all that. And oh, if you need um, surgery stuff, there's a website called Busted Bling. Um, they do really good waterproof dressings. Um, you just put it over. It's got like wetsuit material tied at the top. Hook it up. Perfect. Yep. So anyway, um, so I've been having sit-down showers for the last two weeks. Amazing. Now, today got the cast off. I cut it off myself. <laughs> well, because the, the surgeon's in Chatswood and yeah. I'm in Newcastle now, really he's like, just there. go to the GP and they'll yep. cut it and take yep, the stitches. Yep. So I'm just like, I'll cut it myself and then went to the GP and got the stitches out. But like, so today I had my first shower without my cast on that I could stand in the shower. Not the same? Don't know. I just kept the chair in there. <laughs> <laughs> so it's staying there permanently. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. And actually when we're in um, Beverly Hills, did you see the photos of that mansion we hired? Yes. So, gosh. Out of this world. Yeah. I, I've yeah, got to go yeah, yeah, I've got to go as well. I've got a meeting. Um, each, the shower I was in mm. had a sitting ledge and it had an above the, like a sky shower thing, yep. rain head. It had a normal head and a pressurized head. Yeah. And then it had a, a bench that you could sit on, that two people could sit on. Yes. And it had four sideways jets. There you go. So wow. you could sit there and water everywhere. It was an experience. That's, that's a lot of cost for a, a small portion of your day. One of my friends, shout out to Jay mm. and his wife, Lauren. How's their new property? 
Have you been there? No, no, different Jay. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know Jay, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he just built seats into his shower. Yeah, mm. I tell you. Yeah. So I might move mine at some point. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm sitting there like an 89-year-old in aged care just like enjoying it. There you go. Well, you've, uh, you're showing your age already. Max is your other son, isn't it? Mm. I had a dream the other night. <laughs> is he? <laughs> is he like switched on? We like businessy stuff. Oh, he, yeah, he does say some things that have got some business acumen about them. Okay, why? I might not share this. I had a, <laughs> I had a dream. My biggest thing is like being upset when people are mad at me. Right. I had a dream. You and Max approached me. Because Max convinced you that I was screwing you. <laughs> so, and you're like, no, 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 it's all good. But Max could see it. Right. And he made you come to me. There you and go. you were really mad at me because Max said that I was screwing you. Like Sheldon on, um, what's the? Young Sheldon. Young Sheldon. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't seen it. It's yeah. just well, maybe it's your subconscious yeah. saying you are. <laughs> hey, you've already signed that document. <laughs> all right, we're right, going to go. See ya. And John just did sign the document after all this time and he's committed to another four years of the show. So there you go, everyone. <laughs> all right. Okay, bye. bye.